Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Creating a Four-Quarter Plan for Managing Risk and Safety, Best Practices in Contractor Safety Management, sponsored by Browse. My name is Kevin Drulli. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine, and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speakers. For basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today will be Brett Armstrong and Dennis Robinson. A vice president of Browse, Brett led the organization's operations team for more than seven years and has been with the organization for over a decade. Dennis is a business development specialist who also has been with Browse for more than 10 years. His previous experience includes managing the assessment specialist team responsible for the validation of all contractor documentation. Again, we thank all of you for tuning into this presentation. Brett and Dennis, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. All right, great. Kevin, thank you very much for those introductions, and we sincerely want to thank everyone who has joined us uh, today for the presentation. We're very excited about today's topic. And, uh, you know, along those lines, I, I think it's safe to say that the first of every year, uh, there's a lot of excitement for companies and individuals as li alike. And uh, to that extent, I wanted to call everyone's attention to an announcement that was made uh, just last week that we're obviously very excited about, and that is the, uh, an, an event combining Aveta and Browse together uh, to form one of the world's leading supply chain management uh, provider organizations. That transaction uh, will now expand the global network of the combined organization to more than 85,000 customers in over 100 countries uh, providing configurable uh, SaaS platforms for contractor qualification and management. Uh, just to provide a little bit more color to that and, and what that means, uh, Aveta and Browse combined will now have 450 clients worldwide, including blue chip companies in uh, such industry verticals as energy, chemical, manufacturing, utilities, construction materials, facilities management, communications, transportation, logistics and retail, mining, aerospace and defense, and food and beverage. So as you can see, we are very excited about that announcement, what that means for the organization and uh, for our customers, and there will be more information to come. Now, I guess the, the question, why do I bring that up when we're talking about New Year's resolutions and, uh, you know, the month of January. I, I, I think the point is, again, we talk a lot about a new year, a new me, 
we set a lot of really fantastic goals as individuals and even as companies. I'm sure a lot of you are with us today because you're thinking about ways in which you can better manage risk within your supply chain, uh, looking to put in place uh, improve or expand upon your existing uh, contractor or supplier management programs. Unfortunately, uh, over time, it's really easy to lose sight of the goals that we set. Up on the screen right now, you've got a picture of what any typical gym looks like during the month of January. It is packed. Every machine is taken. You can't find a, a spot on a treadmill. Now, move forward to where we're at today, a month and a half into the year, and that same gym looks very different. Uh, why is that? At, at the end of the day, we're all busy. Uh, there's a lot taking place in our own personal lives. Uh, in the workplace, we get caught up with different programs, different projects, and it's so easy to lose sight of what we want to accomplish, what we know we could and should be doing to operate at our very best. So where we want to start today is talking about creating that long-term vision. Now, before we, we move into, you know, the four quarter steps to create the type of qualification program that you're looking for, I, I want to talk a little bit about setting appropriate expectations and, and the drivers that ultimately lead organizations to this point where they're thinking about creating a program or augmenting what they already have in place. I also want to take a few minutes to address some recommended best practices in contractor management as outlined by the Campbell Institute. The reason we're going to do that, when you think about your own personal life and some of these goals and objectives that you have, I think where we individually fail is we lack a roadmap, a roadmap for success. And the Campbell Institute has really done a fantastic job outlining best practices. So we're going to use that as kind of the framework for the first part of our discussion and then move into the, uh, the four-quarter plan. Now, long-term vision, it's not just an approach of, hey, let's quickly go get contractors compliant today. Instead, we need to be thinking about where we want to be in a year, in three years or five years. And what we found working with world-class organizations, the very best in class, they're prepared to put a program in place and then scale with their success. They don't expect just to hit one out of the park, you know, day one. They know it's going to take time. They know that they're going to have to get adoption and buy-in. And with that, uh, it, it's really important that you say to yourself, what can we do today with the resources that we have? Now, let, let's step back for just a minute and, and be clear. There's a reason why organizations are outsourcing to contractors more than ever before. There's some great benefits. Some of those benefits would include lower operational costs, uh, the ability to focus on your core competencies, uh, to bring expertise in that your organization might not otherwise have. Uh, by doing that, you're going to be able to free up internal resources. There's going to be cost savings, and there's going to be efficiency gains. That, that's why we do this. That's why it makes sense. And we are so fortunate to be working, again, with 85,000 wonderful contractors all around the world that really are able to deliver uh, the types of products and services 
that you need as, as an organization to operate at your very best. Unfortunately, without a qualification program in place, there are potential downsides. Some of those downsides uh, may include hiring contractors that are unqualified. And we'll talk about what that means. Uh, they, they might be doing a great job in terms of the product they deliver, but if they do it unsafely, uh, they're presenting risk to your business. You also run into potential situations, and as safety professionals, I don't know that we always think about this, but there is the potential to hire a contractor that's financially unstable. We're going to share with you uh, actual real-life experiences, things that we have heard from client prospects who ran into some of these challenges and what they were able to do uh, working with us as an organization to mitigate some of those risks. Uh, we're, we're also going to talk about ways in which you can uh, mitigate risk when it comes to the actual employees that the contractors hire. You don't have a lot of say in that, but taking compliance and qualification one step further, not just to look at the qualification of a contractor organization, but also the employees that those contractors hire is absolutely critical. So we'll, we'll touch on that. Now, when it's all said and done, the reason why we are trying to uh, mitigate these risks is first and foremost to protect human life. Uh, it, it, there's nothing more important. That is absolutely uh, critical. Outside of that, there are potential risks that could be uh, imposed on your organization, such as downtime, reputational damage, and lost revenue if there is some unforeseen risk that creeps into your business. With that understanding, why are you here today? There are many different reasons why organizations start to think about qualification programs for their supply chain. Uh, you know, first and foremost, and I hope this isn't the case, but we see it very commonly, there's often some type of safety-related event that makes its way up the chain within an organization and some real serious discussions start to take place where organizations begin to look at what could be done to make sure that this never happens again, to make sure that there isn't an accident or, you know, very worst case of fatality. There are also situations where two organizations may come together to merge and they begin sharing best practices. Again, that's going to be one of the real great benefits of Aveta and Browse coming together are all the best practices that you're going to gain. But within your own industry, between two organizations merging, we oftentimes will see where one organization who's a part of that merger already has a qualification program in place. They're going to be able to share best practices with that other organization. Uh, you may be on one side of the fence or the other, but coming together to put a program in place. And, and, and that's certainly a great opportunity. There are also situations where employees leave organizations, move on to another industry, and they bring with them knowledge. Uh, I've seen one particular uh, situation where an employee left a large electric utility who had a qualification program in place, went to a food and beverage manufacturer, and they were able to leverage their knowledge of supply chain qualification and take that with them to an entirely different industry. So there's great opportunities there to learn from other employees or to take knowledge that you have 
to a new em employer. There are also recommendations coming out from the National Safety Council, uh, the Campbell Institute, and other safety organizations who have stated how important it is to qualify the third parties that you hire. We're going to talk more about that, give you a couple of great uh, resources that you can go to to get more information uh, that you can share internally. And then finally, and uh, we certainly appreciate and love this, organizations that simply want to be proactive. They want to get ahead of the curve and make sure that they're not found in a position where there is some type of accident or event uh, taking place. Now, let's, let's talk for just a minute about this uh, paper that was put out by the uh, Campbell Institute. The Campbell Institute, uh, working with members of their organization, these are large corporate organizations who also work with uh, third-party contractors, they came together to create best practices in contractor management. And the first thing that they wanted to look at is what types of challenges are these organizations facing? For those of you who may not be familiar with the Campbell Institute, let me give just a little bit of background. Uh, the Campbell Institute at the National Safety Council is the EHS Center of Excellence there. The Institute is built on the premise that protecting people and preserving the planet is integral to business excellence and fundamental to operational and financial performance. So the Campbell Institute helps organizations of all sizes and sectors to achieve and sustain well-integrated EHS management systems. And that, that's really where the true power lies, is in their ability to share knowledge, actionable solutions, and best practices from leading-edge organizations worldwide. So that, that's why we're using this as kind of that framework for our discussion. Getting back to the challenges that these organizations face, there were three things, and you've got those up on your screen. First and foremost, there was a lack of a formalized structure, uh, not only to collect the information, but also to provide disciplinary action. And I want to be clear, as we talked about disciplinary action, we're not just talking about a slap on the wrist for somebody who isn't qualified to your organization standards, but instead it's a process to also educate and help raise the bar for these organizations. When I look at the names of the companies that are joining us today, those companies are some of the leading organizations worldwide. Uh, you've got resources that many of the smaller, I'll say MA and PA contractors simply don't have access to. Uh, even larger contractors, oftentimes they lack that institutional uh, knowledge and, and that industry safety knowledge that you have. So there's an opportunity to partner together and really raise the bar and elevate the performance of everyone involved. Uh, second here, uh, there isn't an integration of contractor lagging metrics into the owner's safety statistics. We're going to talk here in just a little bit about ways in which you can combine lagging and leading indicators together to really provide you with a sound uh, insight into the performance of your supply chain, being able to identify the very best organizations to work with. And then finally, the, the third challenge is a lack of a formalized process to provide post-work evaluation. Again, we've got some real-life uh, experiences, things that have been shared with us that I think will be insightful for you as uh, you start thinking about ways in which you can capture that information. If you already are, how can you better communicate that out to your partners within your organization? 
let's talk a little bit about uh, the best practices now. And I'm going to move through these quickly because they're going to be covered through the rest of the presentation. Uh, but just quickly to give you an idea what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how the use of third-party contractors uh, or how organizations are using third-party pre-qualification companies such as Browse and Aveda as recommended by uh, the Campbell Institute. We're going to talk about ways in which you can risk rate your contractors, uh, identifying and stratifying risk within your supply chain. We're going to talk about ways in which you can look at the verification of contractor certifications, permits, and on-site safety orientations, and periodic uh, scheduled assessments during the contract term. These are all recommended best practices as outlined by the Campbell Institute. Um, again, we're going to touch on these in greater depth throughout the presentation, and we're also going to provide you with a link where you can download a copy of uh, the Institute's paper yourself. Now, before I make a handoff to Dennis Robinson, and as, as Kevin introduced, Dennis has actually been with Browse uh, going on about 14 years. And during that time, Dennis was responsible for the teams that were pre-qualifying and managing the documentation submitted by contractor organizations. So he's got a lot of really fantastic knowledge that he's going to be sharing with you. Up on the screen right now is the contractor lifecycle. This lifecycle is meant to act as a guide for you as you think about putting a program in place. Too often organizations think about pre-qualifying contractors as being the end-all, uh, be-all of qualification. Uh, unfortunately, as you can see here, it's just one small step. So we're going to talk about pre-qualification. We're going to talk about pre-job task and risk assessment. We're going to touch on training and orientation. And there's been a lot of really great developments that have taken place in this particular uh, part of the contractor lifecycle in recent years. We're going to talk about monitoring of the job and post-job evaluation. So with that, I'm going to now turn the time over to uh, Dennis Robinson to uh, first address pre-qualification as it relates to the contractor lifecycle. Great. Thanks, Brett. Pre-qualification really is the first step of the contractor lifecycle. In the simplest of terms, the host employer predetermines lagging indicator compliance protocols and metrics that its supply chain contractors must pass in order to work for the host employer. Most of the time and energy of vetting those contractors is spent in the first step of that contractor lifecycle. Now, keep in mind, as I mentioned, the lagging indicators, that doesn't mean that you should ignore leading indicators. If it's of value to you and your contractors fit that mold, you absolutely should consider those leading indicators as well when looking at some of the different areas that you can do that pre-qualification on. Some of the best practices that were suggested by the Campbell Institute would be traditional lagging indicators, looking at total recordable rate, start rate, lost work day rate, EMR, and so on. But the real important part here that's suggested is that you do so against industry averages. You need to make sure you're doing an apples to apples comparison. You need to make sure that you're doing things in a way that is allowing you to make a fair comparison of your contractors, looking at high risk against high risk, looking at low risk versus low risk, and so on. So, so important here that as you are doing these different comparisons, it's an apples to apples comparison, both in terms of industry average 
and risk level as well. One of the areas that was suggested by the Campbell Institute is doing an OSHA citation search. You might have contractors that don't have any accidents on their OSHA log. Well, it doesn't mean that there's not unsafe practices happening. There could be citations or violations, even fines being levied against organizations that don't have any accidents. Maybe they've been lucky. So just another area that you can look to ensure that you're dealing with contractors that really are a true partner for you and your organization. And then it's common challenges that are faced by organizations. A big one here is requalification, keeping the contractor information current and accessible within a single repository. Remember that while that initial prequalification is important, it is not just a one-time event. Requalification of items that expire or need further verification really should be expected. And this is honestly a big area that we see being an issue for a lot of our contractors or a lot of the organizations that we work with is they might assume that, you know, I, I received that insurance certificate, these guys are compliant, we're good, no worries. Unfortunately, that insurance certificate will expire. It could change, limits could change, endorsements could change. Keep in mind as you're looking at this that there will be some level of requalification that needs to be done. And, and Dennis, I'm, I'm just going to jump in here. When you mentioned that, that assumption that the certificate is going to uh, continue to be uh, valid for a period of time, I, I, I know you've got one recommendation for organizations, something they can do to make sure that they're notified if there is ever a change to that certificate. Yeah, that's a great point. One area that we do hammer home with organizations is having some level of a certificate holder put in place. And in that regard, you ultimately need to uh, know if there, are, if there is a change. And so one thing that we've done and we do for our clients is we're added as a certificate holder. It doesn't cost anything, but that really notifies you of any changes that are made, any sort of, uh, whether that's a positive change, a negative change, you're notified, which then uh, we can publish that information to our clients so they're aware of it as well. Uh, on your screen, you're going to see some really neat statistics, and this goes back to this Campbell Institute page that we've been speaking about, uh, kind of talking through here. And really, this walks through, uh, we get a lot of questions as far as using a third party. Is it valuable? Is that something that we should consider? And uh, I would encourage any of you to uh, go to the resources tab, download this, take a look at it. It's, it's absolutely powerful information. But when you look at the total recordable rate, when you look at the DART rate and the lost work day rate, that reduction that you're seeing on your screen there, that is organizations that are part of a third-party solution, similar to Browse or Aveta. So love to answer those questions offline if anyone has any. Uh, we'll kind of address how you can do that at the end here and um, uh, great information as well. I, I think what this particular slide really illustrates is it answers the question, does supply chain management work? And this is a study that was actually put together uh, by the National Safety Council looking at a subset of the Browse database. And it, to Dennis's point, it clearly illustrates that organizations that invest in supply chain qualifications do outperform industry. And so from that standpoint, if you're looking to garner stakeholder support internally, this is really a great resource for you uh, to be able to clearly demonstrate uh, to purchasing, to procurement, other internal partners, that these types of investments do make a considerable difference in the performance and uh, specifically the safety performance of your supply chain. Absolutely. Uh, so the second step in the contractor lifecycle is standardizing a method to evaluate the risk 
of the work to be performed in order to place contractors in a risk category. Uh, best practices suggested here are various levels of risk, contractor self-assessment questionnaire, and then assigning risk levels based on the work that they perform for the host employer, and then scalability. Common challenges found here would be host employers not being aware of the span of work contractors perform, allowing prime or general contractors to vet their subcontractors, which could be a conflict of interest. Might you, you might question, did it get done? And was the vetting up to the host employer's standards? Ultimately here, you've got to ensure that upfront you are recognizing what risks those contractors are bringing to you, but also you want to ensure that if you've got a high-risk individual, a crane operator, someone that's doing things that could really cause issues if you're not on the same page, you don't want to vet them against the same things as somebody that's coming on site to do janitorial work. So when we talk about that risk rating, it's so important that going through that process, you understand what it is that your contractors are doing so that you can rate them accordingly. And Dennis, I think to your point, the contractors really appreciate that as well. Uh, it can be frustrating if they are asked to meet the same criteria as every other contractor. In some cases, that information just does not pertain. And so they really appreciate uh, being, a, being vetted at the appropriate risk level. Uh, it, it really helps you as an organization to be able to gain their support early on and to have the type of program that you want where you have high buy-in and adoption. Absolutely. That's something that we hear a lot as far as with contractors is, you know, we're being asked for things that maybe aren't relevant to us. Can you help? And that is something that uh, we really work hard with our clients to ensure is happening and something that uh, for you all as organizations should consider as well when addressing uh, this side of qualification. The third step of the contractor life cycle takes place prior to the contractor starting work. In this step, the contractors, workers receive site orientation or induction training. Uh, best practices mentioned here would be a standardized video with a quiz at the end and requiring a passing grade at 80%. Again, these are suggestions. Requirement for contractor supervision to complete the OSHA 30-hour course and workers to complete the OSHA 10-hour course. And then also pre-site arrival orientation through an LMS portal. I'll touch on that a little bit more here shortly. Common challenges here would be the significant amount of contractor worker FaceTime to complete that site orientation. So as we talk about that, as I, as I think about that initial training, that uh, site induction, whatever it might be that you're doing, I picture a lot of contractors sitting in a classroom having to spend time when you need them on site doing work. They're there to do a job. That's what you need. We've seen a big change recently, probably the last three or four years, where organizations are now utilizing LMS-type platforms where that contractor can, before they ever come on site, go online, complete that site induction training, and then when they come online on site to work, they're ready to go. There's no other classroom-type training that needs to be done. So something you should consider and something that we've really seen a big change and a big push for in the industry. The fourth step in the life cycle involves the host employer going to the job site to conduct field oversight of the contractor's job safety performance. This step can also include contractors conducting self-assessments of their job safety performance. Best practices suggested here for the host employer, uh, doing site checks daily, safety walks, weekly walkthroughs, having a quota system, contractor self-assessments with a quota requirement, use of phone apps, which we'll talk about here later on, 
contractor incident reporting requirements and tracking corrective actions. Common challenges here that organizations face would be tracking incident reporting findings or job site observation deficiencies to completion, then the host employer not having a standardized contractor safety infraction discipline policy. Really here, the, the biggest thing that I would drive home is you don't want to be the big bad wolf. You don't want it to be that the only time that you're on site or the only time that you're speaking with your contractors is if something bad has happened. You want to ensure that they see you as a partner as much as you see them as a partner. And so when we talk about doing those daily site checks or having weekly walkthroughs, whatever it might be, do what you can to ensure that you're equal partners in terms of the relationship, but also that you're providing a safe place to work for the contractors as well as for uh, your employees too. And then this brings us to the last step. Uh, the final step in the contractor life cycle is the establishment of a formal contractor post-evaluation process. Best practice here would be the very basic collection of information on whether the work was completed safely and well. Common challenges here, this was actually, believe it or not, the most challenging step for Campbell Institute members within the contractor life cycle. Most host employers didn't dedicate time for lessons learned before they moved to another project. And then also the lack of a common form and repository. And then lastly, no resources dedicated for data analysis. When you look at this, it really does make sense because organizations, once they complete a job, whether it went smoothly or not, a lot, of, a lot of times they just want to move on. They don't want to sit back and say, you know, what went well, what didn't go well. But really, when you look at that process, it could save you so much time, money, and more importantly, make things safer for you and for your contractors. And so that post-job evaluation, while it is something that's difficult for a lot of organizations to complete, is something that you should all consider, something you should all make time for, Make that, uh, make that time, spend the money to do it because it really is important and can really save you in the long run as well. All right, great. Thank you, Dennis. Now, up on the screen, up on the screen we're going to transition just a little bit here. With an understanding of the recommended best practices as provided by the Campbell Institute, I, I, I think it's important to step back and think about where you are at. We're, we're going to assume for a minute that as an organization, you are just now thinking about implementing a qualification program. The following slide outlines a simple approach for the preparation, implementation, and evaluation of your program over a period of time. In this case, we're going to assume four quarters as uh, we're still at, at the first of the new year, and there's a lot of resolutions that have been uh, put out there by uh, hiring organizations. The first step as you think about the implementation of a qualification program is to evaluate and identify. Uh, when we talk about that, it's really evaluating and identifying where you're at today. Asking some key questions. What work is currently being done to pre-qualify third parties? And when I say that, I think it's important to look at that from your own internal pro or, uh, department, uh, assuming that you're in safety. What are you doing today to pre-qualify your supply chain? But what about other departments? Have you given consideration to areas that other departments, purchasing, procurement, 
uh, operations, uh, legal, what types of information are they currently collecting or what would they like to collect? I think that's the first step is really identifying, uh, looking at the program holistically to identify what the entire organization could or should be looking at. Of the data that has been collected, when was it last updated? Again, I think that's the biggest challenge that, uh, that, that we hear from organizations coming to us looking for help is just having the resources and the time necessary to monitor that information over time. Make sure that it is current. Not only having the time and the resources, but the right technology. And I'll, I'll talk more about that here in just a moment. Um, I think it's also important for your own department to outline what types of information you would like to collect. Dennis has talked about a few of those, including uh, experience modification rate, OSHA logs, regulatory citations, uh, performing those searches, uh, looking at injury logs, near-miss reports, insurance documents, and then for other departments, again, things such as financials, uh, making sure that those partners that you're hiring are, are going to be around, you know, more than just next week. You want long-term qualified partners to work with. The third really critical step here in this evaluation is identifying those in internal stakeholders. A lot has changed in the last 14 years that I've been with the company. These programs, you know, 14 years, years ago were almost exclusively owned by the safety department. That has really changed and expanded. Again, I've, I've touched on a number of the other departments that we see coming into play. Procurement has got more interest than ever before. Uh, operations, they want to make sure that anybody who comes on site that they meet the requirements of the organization, especially for organizations that are guard-gated uh, you know, facilities. They want to make sure that they know who's coming on site. You've got legal. You've also got the executive team. We'll talk more about why the executive team is interested here in just a minute as well. But ultimately, it comes down to shareholder value and brand reputation. So finally, the, the question that you've got to be prepared to answer is how will you manage the third parties who don't meet your requirements? What tolerances will you have? Do you have a process in place to help to educate them? I think a couple of other things that you've also got to consider is who's going to be ultimately responsible for the collection and the scoring of this information, especially if you're talking about managing this type of program in-house without you know, the use of a third party like Aveta. And then uh, very last would be uh, determining how you'll not only collect the information, but how are you going to share that information within your organization? That, that's another really big challenge for companies, uh, especially large organizations who might have the information, but are they making that available uh, to, you know, the other sites? Uh, it, it might be a corporate initiative. What, what about the individual sites where the contractors are operating? All things to consider. Now, as we think about the resources that are necessary in order to manage these types of programs, and we're going to approach this just for a minute from the standpoint, if you were to manage this program on your own, in-house, what should you anticipate in terms of resources? Going back and leveraging Dennis's experience managing these teams, he's gone through and pulled together a few numbers, things that uh, you should consider when you think about putting a team in place to manage the supply chain that you currently have. 
Thanks, Brett. Uh, so you'll see in your screen, this is, this is an estimate. Don't, uh, don't write this down in 10. This is something that is most likely with most organizations different. And what I mean by that is it estimates, as you can add that up, 12 hours per year per contractor that you'll need to spend as an organization to pre-qualify those contractors. Now, that could be a very conservative estimate depending on what level of pre-qualification you're doing for those contractors. If you're working with a lot of high-risk contractors that you're collecting a lot of data for, also if there's a lot of requalification happening, and then also considering the fact that depending on the technology that you have in place, you might have a lot of cost there as well. So that time that we have on the screen as far as uh, hours per year showing 12 averages out to about one full-time employee per 173 contractors. Now, in some cases, that might be realistic, and otherwise, that may, might be vastly understated. So um, when we talk about the cost of contractor management, what you should consider as far as that's something that you can manage in-house, should you look at a third party, that's definitely some areas to keep in mind. The last thing you want to do is to scrimp on this, be understaffed, not have the tools that you need to ensure that you've got safe contractors that really truly are partners for you and for your organization. And the one thing that I would say, you know, when, when I think about that 12 uh, hours per contractor, to me that seems very conservative. Uh, I, I can see where organizations could spend uh, far greater uh, amounts of time in the qualification process, not just the pre-qualifying, but the ongoing education and the uh, requalification over time. At, at the very bottom, you know, when you start to think about what this equates to, for every 173 contractors that you manage, to really do it at the level we're talking about, you'll need one full-time employee if you're choosing to manage this in-house. Uh, we, we got to that number basically taking uh, 12 hours per contractor and dividing that into the total uh, 2,080 uh, work hours per year that uh, a typical uh, full-time employee can provide. I think that's part of the reason why the Campbell Institute recommends so strongly working with a third party uh, such as Aveta in order to provide these types of services. Other challenges that organizations oftentimes will underestimate is the amount of technology uh, that's really necessary to deliver these types of, of programs. What we have experienced over the years, and this is uh, evident uh, also by numbers provided by search engines, where they're seeing a far greater number of mobile searches uh, which exceed desktop searches today, uh, which, which means more people are spending time on their phones than ever before. I think there are very few safety professionals out there who spend the bulk of their day sitting behind a desktop. Instead, those organizations in most cases uh, have safety professionals that are out in the field. They're interacting with contractors, with, uh, with suppliers that are coming on site. And so they need the ability to access this information, to have meaningful conversations, be able to provide feedback while those supply chain members are on site, uh, to be able to capture that data. And, and even in some cases, you may have, uh, you may have uh, government en entities uh, coming uh, to your facility, OSHA, MSHA, uh, where you may need to pull this information up in order to validate the work that you're doing to ensure that everyone has a safe working environment. Now, moving on, the other 
the other step that is really critical once you've addressed those first two is thinking about conversations that you can have internally, uh, creating a plan, starting to communicate internally with those stakeholders and defining what requirements you should have as an organization for your supply chain. Again, looking beyond just safety, but to include the needs of other departments. On this next screen, uh, we have what we refer to as our assessment library. This assessment library really gets to the core of what we recommend organizations look at. At the very bottom, these are the foundational elements that every qualification program should include, which uh, would include insurance documentation. Dennis has talked a little bit about uh, limits, endorsement language, uh, the policies themselves. And then also legal, making sure that you're capturing any legal documents that would be required, such as terms and conditions, contracts, agreements, uh, other elements that may not pertain to every organization, but, but certainly pertain to your organization in order to protect your company from any potential legal risk. Business continuity, making sure that as an organization, you are protected in the event that there is any type of um, downtime that that contractor experiences. That's really critical to ensure that your op operations are able to continue to uh, perform and be able to meet quotas and expectations of your stakeholders. Health and safety information, we've spent a lot of time here already. Uh, we would also include considering quality systems, financial stability. I'm going to come back to that, have Dennis share and experience something that was conveyed to him while working with a client prospect. And then diversity requirements. If you are publicly traded or a public utility, chances are you have some type of diversity requirements. And these programs, these qualification programs can be used to address those diversity needs. And then at the top of the pyramid, something we're seeing an increasing awareness in and interest in is corporate social responsibility and sustainability. Uh, because we are all corporate citizens, it's important that we're looking out for the best interests of everyone involved. That includes uh, our customers, that includes uh, third parties that you're working with, making sure that they have good sustainable practices and that they're not uh, involved in uh, such uh, practices as child labor, uh, making sure that uh, everyone is, uh, is protected all the way around. So Dennis, let's take a minute, go back to that, uh, that aspect of financial stability and the experience you had. Thanks, Brett. You know, it's interesting, as you mentioned earlier, really, when we started in this industry, as far as our careers 14 years ago, safety really was the driver in a lot of these qualification programs. We've seen the switch where it's not just safety, it's executive level, it's procurement in other areas as well. And this is where the financial piece really does come into play. We've partnered with Experian for this. And uh, the story goes that we were sitting down years back with a potential client and we mentioned that uh, we track financial stability of organizations, and uh, this organization asked us, you know, can you maybe explain that a little bit more? And we told them kind of what it means in terms of knowing that if you're dealing with an organization that looks to be financially at risk. And they kind of cut us off and said, oh, wow, this would have been great to have had in place a year or so ago. And so we asked them why. Come to find out that they had a contractor come on site uh, installing an air conditioning unit. They did the safety background check insurance, all that was great. There was no issues there. 
So everything was installed properly. There was no accidents, nothing that would cause concern on that level. Uh, everything was installed great. They paid the contractor. The contractor went on their way. Well, about three months later, this organization received a lien on their property for that air conditioning unit that was installed and already paid for. Come to find out that that contractor went bankrupt and uh, obviously wasn't financially stable, so this organization had to, again, pay for the air conditioning unit that they'd already paid for. So lesson learned, while it might seem a little unusual in terms of traditional contractor prequalification, looking at things like financial stability really could be a huge win for you as an organization to ensure that you are partnering with organizations that do fit uh, the profile that you're looking for. Great, thank you very much. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about contractors and suppliers here. And again, the thing that I would point out is that for the vast majority of those third-party organizations, they truly have the best interests of your organization in mind. Uh, they want to meet your expectations. And now with a global uh, footprint of 85,000 contractors worldwide, uh, we, we've got that experience where we know how to best engage your third parties. And the best way to do that is to communicate early on, uh, communicate what your expectations are, and be consistent in that process. As you do so, the third parties that you're working with, if they're not already there, they're going to step up their game to meet your expectations. They're going to do what they can to not only provide great products, but to do it in a way that helps to protect your organization and being a good corporate global citizen, as we talked about, you're going to be helping to ensure that their employees go home safely at night as well. And I think they truly appreciate that. The other aspect that I, I would suggest is that you consider how you're going to reward those organizations that meet your expectations. Certainly every business out there is looking for greater revenue opportunities and growth. So by awarding and rewarding those organizations who meet your requirements, you really are going to be that much further ahead of the game, and you're going to have an opportunity to get contractor adoption early on and have some early wins. Uh, so communication is really important there. Uh, finally, as we, as we start to think about the fourth step in this four-quarter plan or uh, however you choose to define those four uh, aspects, uh, we would encourage you to take a look at how to evaluate and improve the programs that you have in place. Now, what we mean by that, anyone who's familiar with Six Sigma, they're familiar with the term Kaizen. And Kaizen is the philosophy and the science of constant and never-ending improvement. Uh, it, it's about betterment. It's about refinement. It doesn't matter how good you are. There's always opportunities to improve the process. Being able to monitor and effectively trend and evaluate the data is critical in this process. So, again, making sure that you've got the right programs, uh, technological solutions, softwares to be able to trend the data is absolutely critical. What we found is that within about six months, you should have enough data to be able to plan actionable strategies to improve the overall performance of your supply chain and see some general trends early on, which you can begin to address. 
Now we're coming up here on the, the question and answer portion of the presentation. I promised that I would uh, provide you with links to these uh, resources. Up on the screen, there are the links to the Campbell Institute, uh, to their research uh, section, which includes best practices in contractor management. You can also download a copy of Making the Case for Contractor Management, the study that was conducted by the National Safety Council that includes those metrics in terms of how organizations that invest in supply chain qualification, how their contractors outperform general industry. Again, really great resources here as you're looking to gain uh, stakeholder uh, support internally. Now, as we move to uh, the, the Q&A portion, I would uh, invite you, if you haven't already submitted any questions, to do that now. And uh, we'll take a few minutes to answer those questions. Excellent. Great job, Brett and Dennis. Thanks for your insights and expertise. Before we do start that Q&A, uh, I just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey that we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Uh, we do appreciate your input because it will help us improve future webcasts. If you don't happen to see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. Uh, you may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. And now we will get to some questions. First, uh, you mentioned gathering historical safety stats. How many years back uh, would you suggest compiling those? I'll take that one. This is Dennis. Um, really what we've seen is a lot of organizations look at three years. In some cases, they'll even stretch that to five years. One thing that we've done a lot for our clients, and when you mentioned safety stats specifically, is we actually collect that data infinitely, if nothing else, so you can do a full review of it. Uh, as many of you probably know, when you look at something like uh, experience modification rate, that's based off of a three-year average. And the more information that you can have in front of you, the more information that you're able to, to see and know that, hey, you know what, it's great that this contractor's had one good year, but one good year and nine bad years probably equals somebody that would give you a little bit of caution as far as someone that you'd want to work with. And so our suggestion to organizations is give yourself at least three years, but five years is, is not a bad idea to have, but also even more so collect as many data metrics as you can, looking at OSHA logs as far as the data that's located on there, but also looking at EMR, doing that OSHA.gov search, and so on, just to give you as many different areas as you possibly can to ensure that uh, there is information there that is pertinent and it really tells you a true story of who it is that you're working with. All right, um, next one. We manage contractors internally. What are the advantages to using a third party? Will they have problems understanding our suppliers? I'll take that one as well. Um, you know, if this, was, uh, this conversation was 15 years ago, uh, probably be a little bit different, but really our industry has changed so much, and what we do is, is far more common these days as far as uh, having a third party to assist organizations with this. We showed you the stats earlier as far as the gains in safety. And really, initially when we talk to organizations, the question always comes up as far as what is the initial cost, uh, what's the fee involved, and so on. But I would challenge organizations to look at it maybe slightly different and understand what those savings going forward as, not only financially, but also on the safety side. You've got to ensure that you're being a safe partner for both your internal contractors uh, that, that you've hired, 
but then also those external folks that are coming in to ensure that you've got a safe work site and that you have the ability to provide communication across your organization uh, as well. My organization manages hundreds of contractors, and I don't know how well we could implement something in, uh, during the year. What suggestions do you have? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, with these types of programs, they can be uh, intimidating. I, I think the recommendation would be to really break the process down into chunks. I think you've got to determine, first and foremost, if you have the resources to manage that uh, internally or if you need to work with a third party. Uh, there are certainly cost efficiencies uh, where, where you can really improve the success of your, your program by working with a third party. Uh, but I, I would say do that first. Break the process down into manageable chunks, things that you can get your arms around. And then, uh, you know, from there, start with a, a crawl, walk, run approach, especially if you're looking to manage this internally without the assistance of a third party. Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with scaling your requirements over time. The only thing that I think I would caution, I would be careful thinking about treating it as uh, maybe a trial run or a test run and just involving a few contractors. We found that by defining your requirements up front clearly and rolling that out to the entire supply chain, you're going to have much greater support. And the reason for that, as you manage the program and you're consistent, your contractors and suppliers, they, they talk one to another. So if one supplier is required to participate, somebody else isn't, uh, they're going to learn pretty quickly that this isn't a mandatory process and, and they're going to find ways to get around that. Again, you want to work with organizations who also have the best interest of your organization and, and safety at heart. So rolling that out to the entire supply chain and being consistent in the administration is really key. And uh, the, the contractors that you want to work with, those best performers, they will definitely uh, rise to the challenge and, and be there to support you. What advice would you have for working with other departments to in, implement a program? Yeah, again, I think it comes down to communication. Uh, communicate early on what your interests are. Uh, understand or try to understand what information they might already be collecting. And then have those discussions. What can we do together to uh, bring these processes together to minimize the impact on the contractors and suppliers? In some cases, there may be redundant information being requested from multiple departments. So if you can streamline that process, again, I think you're going to have much greater success. I also think that what you're going to find uh, as a safety professional is that as you bring other departments in to those discussions, you're also going to find that uh, you've got some budget that starts to open up because you're able to work collaboratively with other departments uh, to achieve the same goal. Our organization is just building our safety management system. A lot of our contractors are hired for emergency work, and we don't have a lot of selection of asbestos contractors or mold mitigation contractors. How should we manage this scenario? In this case, there's actually really an interesting thing that we can throw in here in terms of what we do is what we've done for organizations is we actually allow folks to have a bit of what we call a yellow pages inside of our site where you can do a search in our site for contractors that maybe aren't attached to you as a client, but you could utilize 
as a contractor. Now, due to privacy reasons, are you going to see all the information that that contractor has provided to other clients? Absolutely not. Uh, but up front, you'll be able to see, you know, this is an asbestos contractor. Uh, they're located in the area that I need, and there's someone that's been in browse for, let's say, three or five or seven years. And so uh, it really gives you a view into uh, what it is that, um, that you need in terms of contractor-wise, but then also will give you uh, the ability to really search for those contractors as well and recognize if there is another partner you can utilize. And I, I would just comment, I think that's part of why this merger between Avetta and Browse is so exciting. Uh, as a client user, you would potentially have access to search across 85,000 uh, plus contractors to find someone who can deliver the services that you're looking for. Okay, I believe we've got time for, for one more question. You just had mentioned Aveta and, and the merger, but this one asks um, a little bit related to that. just says, for the, for the cost of contractor management slide, um, does this take into account the savings that we might garner from Aveta as part of this task list of efforts? Uh, yeah, I'll take that. And, and I'm not sure specifically which slide you're referring to, but, but I would say this. Uh, as you work with a third party uh, such as Aveta to qualify your supply chain, there certainly are going to be cost savings uh, to you. When you think about uh, just the slide that touches on the number of employees it would take to manage, you know, your contractors uh, being one full-time employee for every 173 contractors, there will certainly be cost savings there. I know we're at uh, about out of time, but if you go to the Browse website today, uh, there's currently a resource uh, for an ROI calculator. You can go in and complete that ROI calculator, and it will give you an estimate what you could anticipate in saving by working with a third party such as Aveta and, uh, and, and browse together. Okay. Um, well, no, thank you both. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speaker. Um, once again, we hope that you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen and give us your feedback. And that ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. We'd like to thank Brett Armstrong, Dennis Robinson, everyone at Browse, and all of you who listened in. Thanks, and have a great day.